Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 357, air date September 21st, 2018. It's showtime. Now, speaking of amazing, Chuck, we have a guest today. Yes. Who is none other than Shiva Ayadora. Now, this guy is, he's a polymath, so I have a, obviously, I have a great uh, respect for anybody who's a polymath. And I have no idea what that is. I happen to be a polymath. As, as most people don't know what that is. A polymath, Chuck, is someone who essentially, uh, Ben Franklin was a polymath. Polymath is someone who actually goes out and, instead of being a jack of all trades, becomes a master of several trades. Oh, okay. All right. And so, you know, I would qualify as that. He is a polymath. This is the guy who invented email, by the way, Chuck. Really? So I yes. would be an anti-polymath. <laughs> <laughs> Just guessing. I'm, I'm kind of stretching, but, you know. So Shiva he invented he, email? He invented email. This guy's, this guy's a tech whiz, badass oh, polymath, okay? <laughs> so, so he is running against no other than Liawatha. Over no, <laughs> really? In yes. Massachusetts? He is running against Liawatha in awesome. Massachusetts. Awesome. And he's holding his picture up now, right hang now. Hang on just a minute because I can see him. <laughs> he looks, pardon me, pardon the expression, and I don't mean anything derogatory about this, but he looks like an Indian. Well, he's a real Indian. Oh, <laughs> that's probably why. <laughs> he's not a fake Indian. He's oh, a real Indian. So, so let's welcome <laughs> to the show Shiva Ayadora, Dr. Shiva Ayadora. Welcome to Blunt Force Truth. Thanks for having me on. You can just call me Shiva. The doctor okay. was something I just got just to troll the academics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love this guy already. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so what prompted you to run against Liawatha for, uh, for Senate? Because you're Republican or independent. Which are you running on? Well, you, you know, if you think about the deep state, you know, has an epicenter, the Alpha and the Omega, and that is Cambridge, Massachusetts. So here the Republicans and Democrats are one. Uh, I never voted in my life, guys, but when Trump ran first time I voted, I loved the guy. I thought he was going after Republicans and Democrats and, and media. And then I registered as a Republican, was the first guy to announce in Massachusetts. I was getting standing ovations across Massachusetts, but the corrupt uh, Republican Party got really afraid of me. So they're promoting three numbnuts, one of them who voted for Joe, Joe Biden, another one, uh, the same guy, he has a Saudi lobbyist, we call him Dirty Deal, and faked a Photoshop picture with Trump. The other what? guy gave $300,000 to uh, Bill Clinton, and the other woman's claim to fame is, I know she ran the lottery. So I gave the Republicans a great shot. It would have been great for them to have a guy like me. Mm -hmm. uh, I think would have expanded them, but they're not ready for me. So we dumped them and we went independent. And it's the best thing we did because Massachusetts is actually 2.5 million independent voters, only one and a half Democrats and less than a half a million Republicans. And the faker Baker, Charlie Baker, who's a governor, told people not to vote for Trump, the Republican. Mm -hmm. So he is in collusion with Warren. Uh, he gets to be Republican governor. She gets to be senator. So these guys are complete scumbags, as I like to say. And by the way, that's the technical term. It's the scum on top of the septic thing you put in your bag. So, hey, by the yes. way, yeah, you, you, I don't know if you know this. You actually sound like the, I'm going to say the Indian version of me talking. <laughs> oh, really? We're all, you're a real Indian then. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you a question right off the bat. Why are so many people in politics morons? Well, the re reality is they are morons because if you look at the founders of this country, first of all, they all worked for a living, right? Yes. Uh, Washington was a surveyor. He had a farm. 
uh, you know, ran a farm. These guys knew how to run stuff. They knew how to make things. None of these guys know how to run or fix anything. I'm, I mean, I'm out here in Western Mass pounding in stakes. I write software. I still run a, a company that's worth a couple of billion dollars. These guys are absolute morons uh, because they have no skills. I mean, you guys know how to write. You know, you know, you know how to formulate a production. This takes skill. These people have no skills. They're basically like the checkout guy at those convenience stores. That's what the, these people are. <laughs> no, really, they're basically. Well, wait a minute. Would that checkout guy be Joe Biden's Indian friend? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that Bapu, Bapu in uh, in uh, in, uh, in in what is it in Bart Bart Simpson? That's what these guys are. And the thing is, we give them way too much freaking respect. Uh, they don't deserve it. They take tons of money, $50, $100 million to run a Senate campaign when you don't even need that much money. And they pummel people through TV advertising. They don't even know what they're saying. They don't even know any of the issues. So they need layers of people. That was not what the founders of this country were about. These guys, first of all, did not even think about term limits because they didn't think what moron would want to serve there more than a few terms, right? So we have a bunch of morons. And uh, our running, you know, you know, I'm a pretty... I think decent guy who's, you know, came here as a legal immigrant, worked my butt off through the public school systems, did four degrees, started a bunch of companies. And that's the kind of people people deserve. We've lowered our freaking standards to people who are just garbage. No, you're right. So we need to raise our standards. Now your company's only worth a couple of billion though. Yeah, well, it could be worth more if I wasn't running this thing. <laughs> I was going to say, because obviously, you know, compared to Liawatha, you're an underachiever if the business is only worth a couple of billion dollars. Well, Liawatha is the underachiever in the other direction, like lying, cheating, <laughs> and that, like, that kind of underachievement. Well, I think she's an overachiever when it comes to lying. Right. Well, interestingly enough, you and Trump have a lot in common. Yeah, look, I, I, I love, the, love this guy, you know? Why do I like him? First of all... Uh, you know, I've been watching elections since I was a kid. I've always been interested in politics, came from India as a low caste Indian. We were considered untouchables or deplorables. Really? And yeah, yeah. So you won't find a lot of Indians like me. A lot of Indians don't support my campaign because these guys, the, the elite Brahmins, the same guys who are at Harvard running stuff. So not, I would say probably a handful of them even gave us signatures because they figure out my last name. They said, this guy's a deplorable, right? They don't so, want to. So let me ask you that. So what your family was, was in the caste system of the untouchables. Untouchable. So you won't find the fact that my parents even came here, Chuck and Mark, is quite significant. Here were two incredibly amazing people. Uh, my mom's dad ran away with the maid, which is unheard of in India in the 40s. She somehow got educated. My dad came from war-torn Burma. They're basically like mutations. And somehow they, they made it to America. We settled in Patterson and then in Clifton, then in Persephone. And, uh, you know, we were always taught that America was a great country of law and meritocracy. My mom said in India, you could get discriminated nine different ways in America, three. But at least here, if you worked hard, you could overcome that. So when I look at, yeah, so when I look at someone like Trump, you know, 1984, I saw a guy called Jesse Jackson. Remember him running against Mondale? Yes. Reagan. And I thought, okay, this guy sounded like he was anti-establishment. But at the last minute, he gives all of his votes to Mondale, right? Talking about the lesser of two evils. And that's when I realized in politics, there was the establishment, the change agents, people out on the streets who galvanize people. And then there's the not so obvious establishment. And that's fundamentally what Jesse Jackson was. And we saw that same thing in 2016. We saw Hillary Clinton, the establishment, all of them congealed around there, the Bushes, the, the Obamas, right? All of them. And then we had Trump. Whether you liked him or not, he was throwing bombs everywhere, which was necessary. And then you had Bernie Sanders, who was part of the not-so-obvious establishment. So when I saw Trump doing what he did, I said, I, I never believed in the electoral process, decided to vote, 
got invited to his inauguration. And that's why I decided to run, because I thought he was like a bomb being fired or shot being fired at Lexington, which now created at least an opening so we could have everyday people who have skills running. And that's why I decided to run. And I love this country. It's the greatest country on the planet. I've been watching, uh, this is not really off subject, because you talked about the caste system and the establishment. I've been watching Victoria, which is about Queen Victoria when she was first uh, anointed Queen of uh, England, and she was like 19 or 20 years old. And to watch the establishment push back against her, uh, her coronation, they pushed back against, uh, you know, as she was a monarch, and how she dealt with it, she was truly anti-establishment. And there's no question about it. She pushed back against them in the hardest terms, and eventually won. But man, she went through some really tough times. They made her life miserable. And they constantly wanted to appoint a regent who was part of the establishment so that she really couldn't rule. And Interesting, it, yeah. It's kind of what we're doing in this country right now. We have this establishment that's like a, a rule of monarchy almost. They, they act that way. They, they think that way. They, you are correct. We're, they, we're creating a ruling class. We do not. I'll they call it the upper caste. The American people, they care about themselves, and that's it. And there's a whole thing about this, this one guy who – Queen Elizabeth is against the railroad. It's just coming in, 1840, something like that, 50. And her husband, who's from Germany, uh, wants to see this because all Germans are engineers. So he's very interested in things like that. And he said, I, I want to see the railroad. I want to see this engine. And, and all the establishment is saying, no, it's going across our land. We don't want this. We don't need this for England. And he said, for England, this is the, this is the future. So he sneaks out and goes and rides on this thing, comes back. And everybody's pissed. I mean, everybody. His wife is livid because he left without telling her and did this. And then she says to her, he said, you know, you need to go do this. And she does. She goes and she gets on this train and smiling from ear to ear goes, I get it. And then finally responds to the establishment guy that's hosting them. Uh, who She says to him, you know something, before you decide that something's bad, you need to try it. Then you can make your decision." You've all decided that this is not a good thing. I mean, imagine thinking about railroads. This is not a good thing for our country. And you've done it without even looking at it, without even trying it. It's You're taking it very personally because it's going across your land and you can't stand it. Well, back so to what she was just saying. Everything is personal in Washington. It's, everything is going across their land and they can't stand it. And yeah, and I, I, I think, Chuck, what you bring up, you know, when we you see we have this sign that says only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. And uh, it's, 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 it's going to go down in history. It's probably one of the best uh, political slogans. But we have our bus, which I'm inside right now. And in March of this year and, you know, you guys know messaging last year when we launched it, the bus had on the side, you know, be the light. Great slogan. Then we changed it to fight for America. But on March of this year, 2018, before the St. Patrick's Day Parade, at four in the morning, we put up this big banner. You can find it online called, we had the picture of me and her and Shiva for Senate, only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. We took it to the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Millions of people loved it. Four it's, days it's later, terrible. I get it. It's, it's, it's awesome because it has many, many layers to it. You know, right. the, the, the apparent layer, many. But then we get a letter from the city of Cambridge saying that I have seven days to take it down or I'm going to be charged $300 a day from, this, from the building inspector. And I own no. this beautiful building. We not only pushed back, but we took them to federal court and sued them, mm -hmm. and then they surrendered. Now, the sign, like you say, 
and, and typically you'll have someone who looks like Elizabeth Warren when I'm with my bus. Most people love it. And uh, some, most times it's a woman who looks like Warren will say, you're a racist to me. So, yeah, they call you, it's offensive to them. Right? It's offensive. And so what we do is we say, no, you're the racist because you're supporting a woman who took advantage of race. That's racism. And I always say, look, you white liberal racists at Harvard have defined racism in a very narrow confine, right, of don't use the N-word and, ch- and you, you have to change the name of some buildings. But they don't, there is racism, and the, the racism I'm talking about is pitting poor blacks against poor whites. If you, God forbid, say anything that poor whites in this country are suffering massively, right? Highest infant mortality rate is, which is growing, you know, opioid addiction, then you're called a white supremacist. These guys have split the political spectrum. They want poor whites pointing the finger at poor blacks and poor blacks pointing at poor whites. And that's race war, and that's what Elizabeth Warren and the quote-unquote liberals do, and the quote-unquote, at least in Massachusetts, the Republicans play the same game. So these people are the actual racists. Subsequent to this, about uh, a month ago, I went to a Warren rally and started calling her followers, and I invited them to have a discussion, and one of them came across and punched me in the face. It went viral on the internet, you know, hit the megaphone, and uh, Warren invited him back in and treated him as a VIP. So we did a march on Warren's house in Cambridge and did an anti-racist march. So we're flipping this whole dynamic on them, and they have no idea what to do. Now stop there for a second, Chuck. I want to point something out. Well, This this guy punched you. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then Warren brought him in as, as, brought him in as, as a, a VIP. He was arrested and arraigned. And I went to his the final trial. And they typically, on a first offense, give these guys, basically, they dismiss it 30 days. I said, I, I want him, you know, thrown in jail and et cetera. But they did give him one year probation. He has to do anger management. And the courtroom was filled with his old 60s hippies. What's more interesting is this guy, you know what he does for a living? He's an artiste who draws pictures of, of naked black and white Barbies, yeah. naked <laughs> black and white Barbies. Mm-hmm. And w- before he hits me, he says, you're not black. I'm my, my daughter's married to a, a black fellow. So these guys split up the world. Brown Indians can't say this. Blacks can do this. You see what I'm saying? They're the freaking biggest racist. Naked Barbies. You, like I believe fetish. this is true. Even though Mark brought up this punching thing, and everything, I, I want to get in here with this because I know that this is absolutely true. If you were running against a Republican and you were a Democrat, they would embrace you on every level. It's only because of your ideology, you being Indian, That's right. you're their enemy, period. It goes no deeper than that. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things. In this case, they're the biggest racists and segregationists. They have said an Indian sits in the lotus position, shakes his head like this, and is a non-aggressive person. God mm-hmm. forbid this Indian guy fights back at them. And, is, and it doesn't believe in their bogus liberal hypocrisy, right? Well, they think that Indians are all passive. They should have known Lord Mountbatten when he went to, uh, you know, kind of uh, what get rid of uh, what was it called? Freedom at Midnight when he freed. Right, Freedom at, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, right. you, you I mean, there up, was, they weren't passive then. <laughs> well, you brought up India. You know, it's an interesting thing. Indians are an interesting collective, the group that came here, except, you know, people like the non-Brahmins, untouchables. We're a little more fighters or the Sikhs. Most of the Indians, primarily in India, and, and a lot of Indians should wake up and listen to what I'm saying if they're listening to this. You see, in the 1920s, Chuck and Mark, the Indians actually wanted to have a good revolution like the British, like the Americans had against the British. Right. They literally parachuted in Gandhi, right? Yep. Yep. He, was a Nazi, he was a Bernie Sanders of India. 
right. to <laughs> literally and and india oh. the declaration of independence of india doesn't exist it's called transfer of power so white men with crowns left and they put brown men with hats and for 70 years these guys oppressed their own people with corruption nepotism etc modi who i call the trump of india is the first guy who came from nothing you know selling tea and he rose to the prime minister but india was suffocated india never had a good revolution that's what makes america great we actually had a good revolution through people out well so i know most- this is, i know this is kind of off subject and off you know politics and everything but i did read uh, a book called Freedom of Midnight back in the yes. 70s by Dominic. I read it too, same time period. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, Larry Collins, wrote it. And uh, and it stuck with me. Uh, I really learned a lot about India and the different sects and how things came along and the politics involved. And you're absolutely right. They did parachute Gandhi in there. And it gave an impression that was very false. Uh, yeah, I mean, what happened was Nehru's and the Gandhis were the liberal elite of India. And instead of India, uh, India's growth was stunted in many ways. India should have had a good revolution. Um, there were other. They picked their heroes, isn't it? Yeah, they picked their heroes. You know, nonviolent guy and teaching people that you should get smacked across the face and beaten up as though that's a good thing. I mean, that's anti-human, right? No one acts. I mean, I'm for you know not going after violence, but if someone attacks you, to you tell defend people, yourself, you defend yourself. You know, that's a very anti. So a majority of the Indians who are here are brought up in that Gandhian framework. They all vote Democrat. Most of them are spineless. They don't stand up for anything. Interesting. And the, the Indians that did make it here through real suffering, like my parents did to the 70s, you know, came here as legal immigrants, had to go through the American journey, you know, they really value this country. Most of them are, frankly, you know, conservatives. I think it's uh, fascinating that you truly are, and I don't think I'm over-exaggerating or anything, that you really are the American story about someone who comes from a very lowly position in another country, comes here with only your education and your, your drive to accomplish something, and really becomes very successful. I mean, you are a true American story, and you're running against a woman who is anything but in a state that I don't understand Massachusetts being so democratic. I really don't. I've never been able to figure that out. Why well, that- well, Ch- Chuck, what Massachusetts is... If you think about it, it's, it's sort of a it pretty, uh, there's irony in here. This is where the American Revolution took place, right? That's what I mean. I just don't get it. But, but the Tories or whatever, the, the British, remember, whenever a revolution occurs, there's the more interest, the more powerful one is a counter-revolution. That's what Trump is experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. You get into power right. and you have those out of power trying to get back. And so all those British who we thought left actually all aggregated at Harvard University. Which is a you know, 40 funny because during the revolution, and it's a fact, and it's still true today, a third of the country was for the revolution, a third of the country was against the revolution and on the British side, and a third of the country didn't really care that much. They couldn't figure it out. And yeah, fence sitters, they call them. We're kind of like that today, aren't we? I mean, that hasn't changed. Yeah, there's a, there's a great organizational theorist called Price Pritchett. He says what, what you just said, if you take an organization, he, his numbers are 50% are fence sitters. 20% are change agents and 30% are resistors. And his goal, you know, in organizational theory is most of the people spend all this time trying to convince their resistors. And he said, don't waste your time. You got to get rid of those people, but you spend most of your time on the people want change. And then those people bring the fence sitters over, but it's this, it's the same model. And, but in America, what happened was my theory is a number of these old British lords and whatever, the upper caste guys, ended up at Harvard. Harvard's been around since 1640s. 
And so if you look at the country's map and you go to Cambridge, I can give you a longitude and the latitude of the deep state. It's the one mile between MIT and Harvard, okay? That's a military industrial academic complex. There's actually a location of it. Harvard is a $40 billion, a $50 billion hedge fund. It's not a university. It's a fake university. $2 billion they spend. The other $48 billion they invest, they paid their hedge fund guys $58 million. They run this bogus thing called the university, but it's actually the collusion of all the elites. They have the business school, the law school, the medical school, the school of education, the John F. Kennedy School of Education, which trains all the CIA, FBI guys. But that's where it is. It's, it's at zip code 02138. Well, a good that's example is. is all of these economic uh, wizards who graduated from Harvard. They cause all the calamity in the world. <laughs> but against Donald Trump, who graduated from Wharton, a real economic school or school of economics. Yeah. And business. So and you see where they are today and where he is today. I mean, we're at a 4.2 that will probably revised up GDP, and it'll probably be revised up from where it is. Yeah, and because look, possibly a five, which every expert, which you're talking about, all these Harvard experts said, this is impossible. We can never do that. And here we yeah. are. Well, you know, I wrote this thing in a thing called Take Back Harvard. Harvard in the 1640s was going out of business. They were going bankrupt. You know what they did? They went to Christian missionaries and said, please give us money. We're going to build an Indian college. Sound familiar? So they built an Indian college, a brick building. They only educated four Indians, put their printing press in there, and, you know, basically used it as bailout money. So this university is basically a community, it should be, become a community college. You can probably trace every major economic collapse, you know, major cataclysms, economic ones to some expert at Harvard. And uh, that's where Elizabeth Warren comes out. They're like the New York Times. They're the standard. New York Times, yeah. That's awesome. You want to turn Harvard into a community college. (laughs) Well, that's what it should be. It gets way too much respect. You know, they're a brand. They have beautiful little bricks and ivy growing. Yeah. It's a brand. Picturing going to Harvard to get my degree in beauty school, you know, my, my hairdresser's license. <laughs> well, that's what they do on a sophisticated way. They call it branding, right? Yeah. So, so you're an expert in tech. You, you, you run a tech company, right? Yeah, the, the current company I run is a company that... Now this is, is where my switch goes off and Mark's switch goes on. Well, well I'll, I'll, Chuck, where you'll appreciate it, both you, Mark and you appreciate it, you talked about coming, you know, I came when I was seven years old. And um, I was very motivated to do medicine, believe it or not, because when I grew up in India, I grew up in the city of Bombay, but also in a small village where my grandmother was a village healer. She could observe your face using traditional systems of Indian medicine, which may seem woo-woo to us, but she could predict what's going on in your body. She would come up with herbal formulations for that person. Today, you know, we call it precision medicine, the right medicine for the right person at the right time. Anyway, so my grandmother would do this on the weekends while she worked 16 hours a day in the fields. But so I was very motivated to understand how this woman with no degrees was able to do this. When I came to the U.S. by the time I was 14, I finished all my math courses, including calculus, didn't have, my high school had nothing else to do. I ended up getting this awesome opportunity to go to NYU as a 14-year-old kid. This is in 1978 and learned seven programming languages. Remember in those days, a computer would take up the size of yeah, all of our rooms. Huge. And when I finished that, I started working. I got a job full-time at, in the center of heart of Newark, uh, Rutgers Medical School, what is now known as Rutgers Medical School. So my high school teachers changed the rules so this young kid could go from high school to work full-time. And what did I do there? I was, I was doing medical research, but I was given this amazing opportunity 
Uh, you guys are over the age of 40. You, you remember the old-fashioned inter-office mail system? Remember every secretary on her desktop had the inbox, outbox, folders, yep. trash yep. can, she write this memo to, from, subject, carbon paper? Right. Well, I converted that entire thing to the electronic version, 50,000 lines of code. No one had done it before. Called it email, a term never used. And a few years later, I got the first U.S. copyright. In fact, I got it today. Today's the anniversary of the invention of email, August 30th, 1982. It's on my Twitter. Congratulations. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's, it, what, it, what it speaks to is now this was done before I came to MIT. Now, you, can, was, you could actually find Hillary's emails, right? I could probably find them, yeah. Let me go at them. I actually told the New York Times that. But I'm sure that you could find them as well. Yeah, I'm sure sure it's in her basement somewhere. I didn't mean to break your rhythm there. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, No, I actually commented. New York Times called me when the Hillary. I said, look, this woman should be in jail. They didn't print that. But I said, anyone who put a personal server at home was clearly setting herself up for deniability. But anyway, when I... The interesting story with the invention of email is that this was done before I came to MIT in the ecosystem of a, a, a mentor who gave me an apprenticeship, good, uh, good loving family, and amazing dedicated high school teachers. It didn't occur in the ARPANET. That's the big lie. When I came to MIT, went in and out, never spoke about the invention of email, never made a penny off that because you can't make money off copyright. However, six years ago when my mom was dying of pulmonary fibrosis in a beautiful suitcase, she had saved all of these artifacts. Time Magazine, the only tech journalist reviewing it, he wrote an article called The Man Who Invented Email. Three months later in February 2012, I was the Smithsonian contacted me, wanted all this to go in the Smithsonian. A beautiful ceremony is held. The next day, you would think that should be, as Chuck, you were alluding to the celebration of the American dream. Right. The guy came from India. What you see is all the liberal elite academics who had written the history of email that it was invented by the military industrial academic complex go ape shit excuse my language Um, it's okay it's uh, i understand so so gawker media who luckily we drove out into bankruptcy Mm -hmm. uh, basically puts out this article calling me an asshole fraud dick this curry stained indian should be beaten and hanged and by the way this guy who owns gawker is supposedly liberal cares for minorities the thought of a 14 year old kid inventing email in newark New Jersey blows their mind. And by the way, I've, I've been on the front page of MIT for many other things. And even MIT, the mili- part of the military industrial complex gets upset because how dare something be invented not in their purview. Wheelhouse, yeah, right. Exactly. Because, and by the way, a 14-year-old kid invented TV in Franklin, Idaho. The narrative that we've been all BSed on is that all great innovations must come from us going and fighting some war somewhere, killing people or big industry and big corporations. The truth is Americans innovate by solving civilian problems. I was trying to help a secretary go well, from the type- Amazon starting in the guy's garage. I mean, this is what happens. Exactly. That's where innovation occurs. You don't need all this massive VC money, massive private equity. And these guys like like Monsanto farm seeds or genetically engineered seeds, they want to farm innovation so they can control the whole narrative end to end. So I think it's the invention of email is what I started with. But today, um, equally important is I run a company which can mathematically model the human cell on the computer, diseases like Alzheimer's, cancer, so we can really reduce the cost of drugs. We discovered a drug for pancreatic cancer, a combination therapy in a record 11 months and got FDA allowance. So I am part of our campaign, Chuck and Mark, is to lower the cost of healthcare. And Elizabeth Warren doesn't want to do that. What we've discovered is between the time, anything you go into a hospital, you buy the bedpans, the sheets, or whatever you use to drugs, they're all being marked up anywhere between 
uh, 50% all the way up to 20,000%. And the middlemen GPOs who get kickbacks who warrant supports and the establishment supports are marking the hell out of these things. Well, you Why? reduce this down to, if you get an aspirin in a hospital, it'll cost you 20 bucks. $20, exactly. Right? So it costs you two cents outside. Aspirin cost you $20 in a hospital. Why? Let, let, let me add something to that, Chuck. All supplies, Chuck. The, mm-hmm. Even the well, state where the secretary uses. For an aspirin, can you imagine this what problem? The problem you're describing lands right on the lap of Elizabeth Warren and Nancy Pelosi. And I'm going to tell you why. Check this simply this. So, Shiva, just so you know, I, I have another business which is called Living Beyond 120. Oh, okay, great. We're, we're in the yeah. medical field. I, we, we have a lot in common. I jumped high school grades and the whole just the awesome. thing. So here's what's happening. The, when they went through the Obamacare system, uh, in their infinite wisdom, they decided that they were going to limit the profitability of insurance companies to 15% above cost. So now what you have, Chuck, is hmm. you, have an insu- you have an insurance world who is motivated to approve the highest cost. This is why insurance will pay $1,300 for a, a CAT scan that you could go over to a, to a walk-in clinic and get for $300 in yeah. cash because the insurance companies want to. So you have the drug companies that are controlling things, the big pharma. You have the hospitals that are pushing these large numbers. You have the insurance companies, which because of the Democrats, like Elizabeth Warren, are motivated. Now think about it. You, you run an insurance company. Your job as the president of the insurance company is to make profit. That's your job. And you're told you get 15% on top of cost. So how do you make, how do you make the 15% bigger? Increase the cost. Yeah. Simple as that. Well, w- one of the interesting things, Mark and Chuck, is there's something even bigger than Elizabeth Warren lying uh, that she was Native American that's going to come out. And we, we were the first ones, I think, to bring it out on social media is in 2005, Elizabeth Warren, by the way, you know how academia works, right? You write a bunch of papers and then you get other people to say how great your papers are. That's called a citation. And then you get tenure for life. So Elizabeth Warren tried to carve out her expertise in bankruptcy law. That's what she says she's great at. Well, one of her quote unquote- (laughs) She's really good at bankrupting things. Bankrupting, exactly. But in 2005, she wrote a paper in a medical journal, get this, person has no background in this, saying that 42% 42% of small businesses were going bankrupt because they didn't have insurance and high medical bills. No one touched that. They assumed it was right because it's got the Harvard logo on it. Four years later in 2009, she anteed up. She said 65% of small businesses are going out because of high medical bills and no insurance. Those two papers were used as the intellectual foundation for Obamacare. Everyone referred to those papers. See, we need, high, we need insurance. And they're, they're yeah. nonsense. Well, three months ago in March or four months ago in March, uh, a se- separate set of professors re-looked at her work. And the way she did her research was simply asking Joe, hey, Joe, how'd you go out of business? Oh, I think it was high medical bills. It was bogus research. These guys actually went and looked at the credit history of people, what actually happened. It's only 4%. The reason I'm telling this to you is the military industrial academic complex of fake news behind fake news is academia. So... You know, the elites want a narrative. Oh, we all need to get someone on everyone on insurance. So they go to someone like Elizabeth Warren, the fake Indian. She writes a fake paper and then the journalists just refer to it. So this is how they manufacture 
consent as other people have talked about, right? It's exactly they use how they got Trump with the uh, dossier. It's the same system. Exactly. They're, the Russian collusion stuff is absolutely just nonsense. It's yeah. made up fiction. The same, and they use the same system. Right. Yeah, they, they, the they use, yeah, they used information laundering in his system. Mm-hmm. Yep. But but I think I think the opportunity we have is we're running as independents and we I think we have a big opportunity to win and we're winning because you know if you look at the number of followers I think I have ten times more than any of the Republican guys out there we're going straight to people through alternative media and then we go on the ground that's you know, the way I'm we're doing say, this I, I'm going to say we're, we're going to take a short break we have a commercial break to do so we're back now and and as I broke I said I have a question for you I do and I think it's important. Uh, with everything that you've said, I have a statement first. With everything that you've said, I am a Republican, a registered Republican, because it's my default position, as it is with a lot of conservatives. We have to default to the Republican Party, unfortunately. So I have never voted for an independent in my life, ever, because they normally, quite frankly, most independents are Democrats, uh, clothed, you know, in different clothing, but they're really Democrats. I don't know of a single independent that votes with Republicans. Do you? Historically? Well, well in Massachusetts, I'll give you the numbers. We've, you know, I'm, I'm, a talking, big, about, I'm talking about oh. federally. Oh, I, I don't know about federally, but in Massachusetts, the numbers are interesting. Uh, in the last election, the presidential, two million people voted for Hillary. Massachusetts, one million people voted for Trump. And then people say, oh, look, Hillary won. But the point is, one million people voted for Trump. Where did those one million come from? Well, the Massachusetts uh, of the Republicans, 450,000 Republicans, Chuck, only half of them voted for Trump. You know where Trump got his other 800,000 or 750 from independents? Yeah, They're, that's, that's an anti-establishment vote. It, maybe, the people, I, maybe I was unartful in the way I presented this. I meant uh, people who are independents in the government, like, uh, oh, who's, uh, who's an independent? Bernie Sanders. Sanders Bernie Sanders. So he's yeah. a Democrat. Do you know of any other independents that are not Democrats in the federal government who've been elected to positions of senator, congressman, whatever it is? Who, who was a guy in Connecticut? I think he caucused with the Republicans. You know what I'm talking about? Very unusual. So here's, yeah, my, here's, it, my, yeah. here's my point. You would be, in my just after this short conversation with you, uh, I would vote for you if I were in Massachusetts. I would absolutely vote for you. I would, I would take my name off the Republican side when it came to Senate, and I would vote independent. And is, is that how difficult is that to do? If you're a registered Republican, you can just vote for anyone. You don't. So you, it doesn't matter. You it doesn't vote. matter. Yeah. yeah, independents can vote in the primary. State's different. That's why. I'm no, no. You as a you can vote when you go in the vote. You're, you're going to be a registered Republican. So we have all the data, Chuck, of from the last forty years of Repu- Some Republicans lean independent. Republicans, a small minority in a lean Democrat, but the majority of independents uh, will vote Republican or majority of that. Uh, and the other subset go ID. We call them IRs and IDs. Right. But when you really look at it, the reason they vote Republican or Democrat is because they're, they've been told bullied into this lesser of two evils nonsense. Right. That's mm-hmm. been the recurrent pattern in American history. And well, the only reason I'm a registered Republican in Texas is because I can vote in the primaries. Oh, I see. I couldn't vote in the primaries. And if you really look at President Trump, President Trump's really an independent. Yeah, he hijacked the Republican Party. No question. Yeah, absolutely. He's not not a Republican. Basically, you have the machinery of the Republican Party against you, as well as the machinery of the Democrat Party against you. So you you have a pretty high hurdle to jump. Yeah, but they also said email could not be invented. 
right? So my, my <laughs> look, point is, I, I love always, your attitude. I really you know, do. I, I look, you know, my parents were never supposed to ever get educated, right? All of these things. Uh, the, the, the fact glass that, half full. Well, yeah, the fact that I'm here in front of you guys is like one in 10 trillion, right? So I believe, you know, there's uh, And I was about to fact say that the fact that I'm in front of you is one. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that there's these things called black swans, right? That Absolutely. We don't know what drives all of this. Trump wasn't supposed to win, right? There's many things they weren't supposed to be. But ultimately, that's what America's about. It's about having a dream, a vision and working your butt off. And you we've forgotten that. Because you're a very smart guy, obviously, and I'm not. And I, I'm willing to admit my, what I don't know. Uh, Mark is a very smart guy. Uh, Trump is a very smart guy. There's no question about it. And, and Mark and I talked about this in the beginning, in the opening, and you perhaps were listening or not, but uh, he figured a way to blunt his intellect, quote unquote, and still talk to the American people so that they understand him. And, and the thing that, that happens when I talk to guys who are so bright like you and who are so technically informed in what you do and how you do it and, and precision and, and using acronyms <laughs> that no one understands but you, which is true. Mark is absolutely, uh, I mean, I keep telling him, I said, you know, speak in English, forget the acronyms. I don't understand you and I'm not a pilot. So here's the deal. Have you figured a way yet just to communicate with the average person to be able to explain yourself with, without any kind of overlapping intellectual, <laughs> intellectual thing? Yeah. Okay. So, so, so right, right now she was holding up the sign of no, the, that. Look, holding up the sign only a real <laughs> yeah i mean yeah for all the quote-unquote intellectual i'm supposed to be don't you, you no know no i'm being serious the reason i held up the sign is only a real indian look 80 percent of my friends are everyday working people plumbers electricians people who work for a living i don't have a lot of these elitist bourgeois friends so you know i grew up in new jersey among everyday people so New Jersey people talk like this, scumbags, only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. This and that's is what, that's what I'm noticing that, here, Chuck. All that intellect gets reduced to that. But this is, you know, lock her up, right? Build the wall. These are amazing, simple things. There's genius behind that. And I, I, and I got to tell you, I, I, I this, don't is better than, this is better than the invention of email, frankly. And yeah. it, that's it, what I'm noticing here, Chuck. What so, I'm noticing here, just like with President Trump, uh, we were talking before that Tony Robbins, who I know, Tony Robbins taught President Trump, speak at a fifth grade level. I'm watching you right now. You're doing the same thing. You're talking about they're morons, they're scumbags. You're talking at a street level. I'm yeah. completely positive. Because that's what they are. Yeah. Right. But I'm completely positive that you can hold a conversation with an intellectual holding four oh, people. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's why the establishment is so afraid of me, because they're looking at a guy who's talks well, you know, speaks well, can go to everyday people. You know, I was just driving down the street in Springfield. We jumped out. Uh, we saw signs. We put in a woman across the road, said, hey, I like that bus. I hate Warren. We went in and dug a stake and put it in. I grew up in New Jersey, guys, with people who were working people. My parents work, you know, two, three jobs. We're all working freaking people. These people don't work. Yeah, I got lucky and I went to MIT. In fact, I didn't even need to go there, you know? When I first day I went to MIT, I thought these people were the craziest people. I didn't want to go there. I played baseball. Um, you know, I, I, I mowed lawns. I had a landscaping business. That's what I did. 
going to MIT, MIT benefited because I'd already, they already got a great student. They put the MIT label. I didn't need to go to that place. I decided to go there to get all their degrees so I could troll them one day. And that's what I'm doing right now. Because now me they, of, of, you know, Peter Thiel. I know Peter. Yeah, I've spoken to Peter. Yeah. Peter said something that sounds very familiar to you. And that was, I was at a meeting with him someplace. And the question was, what would you do different if you could go back and do things different? And he said, I wouldn't have wasted my time going to Yale Law School. Well, you, you got to understand, I didn't even know about MIT. I went to this uh, very, uh, in my second or third year to a Jewish public school. And, you know, I was the only, me and my sister were only the two Indian kids. Everyone there thought, you know, they're the smartest kids. No one told me about MIT. I was second in class among 900 kids. And two weeks before the MIT applications were due, I was only, I wanted to do carpentry, do design, and I applied to a local state college. My mom had helped these two women, one of them who was homeless, a husband in a kick direction, let him stay in our basement. And she had a boyfriend who said, hey, Shiva, you should go to this place. And he brought the application. It said Massachusetts Institute wait of Technology. Oh, oh, wait, back up. Yeah. Your mom has two homeless people living in the basement. Yeah, and, one of the women was. One of those well, guys said, you should go to MIT. Well, one of the women was kicked out. You know, the woman, the husband kicked her out. Okay. So my mom was at the stop and shop and she said, you know, I said, you can stay here. So she didn't have a home. She wasn't like a homeless, drooling person, right? And she's so, the one who suggested you go to MIT. Well, this, her boyfriend had come over. He's sort of a weird math guy. He said, you should go to this place called MIT. And he showed me the brochure, which was a dome with Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I thought it was a freaking mental institute. I said, I'm not going here. It looked crazy. <laughs> so this guy wouldn't leave. So I filled out the application two weeks later with a pencil. I get accepted. And I remember walking to the steps of MIT. And I see these 16, 17-year-old kids who look like they're 80 years old, bent over, hunched completely, you know, disgusting looking. I hate to say this. And I said, I'm not going here. And finally, my physics teacher said, you should go because you'd like Boston. It's a Athens of the world. You meet a lot of people. So when I came, I had enough credits to leave MIT in two and a half years. I put up with the place because I, I, I moved to Dorchester. I learned politics from everyday working people. I agitated. We started a newspaper at MIT to expose MIT's hypocrisy. I organized the food service workers. I made sure more poor whites, poor blacks. My whole life at MIT was learning politics, man. That's how what did, I did. How did you resist that? Because I had the same experience of going to, going to school and trying to hold on to, to my conservative values, which I always had from being a teenager. But every professor you had was just beating you over the head with liberalism. Yeah. The, the thing is, you got to, I never stayed on campus. I, I, I moved, you know, I, I was off campus uh, most of the time. And just went in there just to get whatever I needed to do. I think the, the bottom line is that it was sort of just a something that brought me to MIT. So I can say I'm MIT, but the reality is, guys, I'm like everyday people who just, you know, got to go there. So now in this election, what are they going to say? They can't say I'm stupid, right? They can't say I'm unaccomplished. That MIT sheepskin helps to the extent that the establishment doesn't know what to do with me. Yeah, but the a, reality a, is a I'm a firewall for them. Yeah, it's a firewall, but the, the reality is we put out stuff like this, and they don't know what to do with us. <laughs> well, now, when you do, uh, you know, your meetings and events and everything, do you uh, talk about MIT and you talk about things like that? I mean, well, I, you know, in perspective, is your feelings toward it? And, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I do. I, I, I talk about, to the extent I talk about my journey, Chuck, is as it, coming here as a legal immigrant, immigration, the process of education, and then the process of innovation, right? Those are the three processes I talk about. 
as it, you know, coming through the public school, you know, be, coming here as a legal immigrant, then going through the educational process with particularly the public school system. MIT basically gives you this brand equity, right? But the, re- the reality was I started seven companies. You know, I, I, I created a lot of jobs. That's where I value more than anything, right? So let, me, let me ask you something about yourself. Uh, are you just kind of a born genius or did you really have to work your butt off? For I, I don't know. Man, I don't know about this. You know, I, I think there's certain things that are natural. You know why am I? Uh, but I work my butt off, man. I mean, you can't do engineering well unless you solve lots and lots of problems. Chuck, I'm sure you were a host, right? I'm sure you stood in front of the mirror. You studied your lines. You know, you had to work anything in life to be excellent. You got to work your butt off. He obviously no. doesn't know me. I know no, no, no. But, but I'm saying you got to. I, I believe I've, either you, you have God-given. I was skills just a natural with, genius when it came to that. There's no question about it. No, but I'm sure you had to get. You know, you had to put on your makeup and get ready and look well, in the. You know what I'm saying? Do, but I never practiced right. anything, and I thought it was no. But, really I, but I would guarantee. I would put this on you. All the people I've met who are successful mm-hmm. are extremely, I don't want to say OCD, but are into excellence. They want things yeah. to be real and they work yeah. hard towards that. When I was out in Hollywood, you guys may know I used to be married to Fran Drescher. One thing, oh, I, uh, one, uh, one thing I noticed, you know, a lot of stuff I didn't like out there, but one thing I noticed was there was a compelling desire if you did something to do it well, at least the people who had done well. You know, the, pr- so the that, biggest problem that I had working in my industry was... I always wanted to do what was best for the show. I didn't, I wasn't interested in what was best for me or what was best for the production company or what was best for, I wanted to do what was best for the show. And I got more pushback from people in production and everything else in order to improve the show. Mm. And that was just interesting. What what motivated you? Because like yourself, uh, because I run, run a few companies and, uh, what motivated you to want to do this? Because I've thought about it. And it's like, why would I want to do that? Well, why would it, I want to take that kind of pay cut and be away from my businesses and be abused at the level that you're being abused? So I give you a lot of credit for that. A lot of well, you're a young man. You're successful. You've lived the American dream. Right. You don't you're need this. independently wealthy. Well, well, I, well, I don't know what your guy's spiritual beliefs is, right? So I believe that we're all part of something much bigger. We're actually insignificant to the game. So what made you want to be, do this right now? There's something compelling us that we're part of some wave. You can call it spirit, God, whatever you want, right? So many of the decisions we think we are making are, I think, a part of some other longer piece where we're essentially an atom in that. So there's, you know, I grew up in a family of untouchables, right? I didn't create that. History created that. And then my parents overcame that. We came to America. So there's something beyond me, but I've always been a fighter, you know? against injustice, uh, fighting for truth and freedom. A lot like what you said, Chuck, always looking for the larger picture and what role you're paying, playing in it to advance that. So, you know, there's a huge activism part of me. I was a guy who wrote a series of science papers exposing Monsanto. By the way, Warren wanted to protect Monsanto. She voted for the Monsanto Protection Act. So when Trump ran and given my activist history, by the way, three years before I, uh, I started to do it in 29 or something, sorry, sorry, but eight years before this, I was in India, invited back to India on a Fulbright, was doing medical research, was getting ready to leave India, was recruited by the Indian government to run the largest innovation center, found massive corruption, exposed it, and had to leave India under death threat. So you're you're looking at a guy who's a freaking fighter, and I hate injustice, and I'm willing to put my life and reputation on the line. And And what I saw in Cambridge, Massachusetts, among these elites, 
It's like, you, you know when Trump used to say, like, he's among these guys, the Wall Street guys, he knows them? Well, I'm among one layer below that with the academics. I know their scumminess, and I know what they do is not to the interest of the American people. It's to their own self-interest. Very interesting. And, On a spiritual level, Jesus said, we are in this world, but we are not of it. That's yeah, definitely. I mean, Jesus right. is one of my great heroes. I mean, Jesus fundamentally... You know, there was a spiritual piece of Jesus, but there was also this very material piece. I mean, he faced out the moneylenders, right? This guy was a major disruptor of his time. And I think if you truly love, if you truly want to experience love, you have to be willing to put your ass on the line and see ourselves as part of something bigger. So that's what I'm compelled by. Probably the immense love I got from my family, the love from my, you know, teachers and all these people gave us all a ton, man. And well, you know, know, you're describing people who, and, and I just kind of ran across this phrase the other day, and it's true. You had balcony people. Definitely. People in the balcony going, good job, great job, keep it up, keep going. Yeah, I know I you may have failed, but you look good doing it. Just keep on going. Yeah. Everybody, I don't care who you are, how successful you are, how big a celebrity you are, everybody needs balcony people to cheer them on. Yeah, definitely. And I get what he's talking about too, Chuck, because I mean, you, this, you were saying what motivated us to do this show. I always say that we have, you know, some kind of weird self-flagellation, you know, thing going on. This show has cost Chuck and I both a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine particularly. It's fans, it's cost me business. Yeah. Well, so, I, I think what you guys do is great. I love the name of your show, Blunt Force Truth. I, I say be the truth, you know, uh, find, uh, I, I say be the light. Find the truth, know your way. Each person's got to figure this stuff out and go within themselves. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you. And I really believe that. All the spiritual teachings talk about us having to do some introspection and find out what it means to be a human being. And that's why I'm doing this, because that's what I'm compelled to do as a human at this so point I'm, in history. So I'm on your website right now. So the first thing I laughed when I brought your website <laughs> up, because it's like, okay, this is the first first politician with a website that's been programmed properly <laughs> and designed right. Well, you know, I do all my graphics. I, I have a degree in design, believe it or not, in graphic design and master. So I do all of our graphics. I do all of our memes. So you're looking at a guy who's, you know, is completely a micromanager. Right, and well, I have listen, my own web department to, here, and I'm like, if you don't like, happen oh. to get elected or something, would you like to have a job? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you need really to use somebody like you. But but here's my question for you: How's the campaign going right now? How how well, what do you think? What do you? Th- how's the well, odds going? Well, here's the deal: when before after we dumped the Republican Party, there was a poll done. We were at thirty percent. So both and the Boston Globe, which is a left liberal newspaper, right. they published the pictures of the three candidates running against Warren. One of them had announced this dirty deal guy. The other two had not even announced. And they leave my picture out. Mm-hmm. So and I was the first guy to announce. They know me. So I tweeted out racist. By the way, Globe says how anti-race. I said racist Boston Globe leaves out the dark key. It goes viral. The editor of the Globe calls me and he says, why did you call me a racist? I said, what do you want me to tell you? Tell you, you left the, you put the three white guys and you left the dark guy out. He goes, oh, my intern forgot. So that's, that's, that's their the interns. The race. It's a guy named Algorithm. We all know right. him. We just then, so so we so we have the campaign. Bottom line is we're the first on the ballot. We collected twenty thousand signatures. We only needed ten using all volunteers, Mark, without any paying anyone. The political parties typically pay people three to five bucks. This is bottoms up. Um, if you ask, I would easily say one, uh, two out of three people out there, they know our name. In the last poll NPR did, they asked, you know, different politicians their visibility. They, interesting enough, asked, do you know Elizabeth Warren? Do you know Charlie Baker? But they didn't ask my visibility level. 
which they're afraid of because that would put me in shooting distance, more than shooting distance of getting on all the debates. But now they have to put us in the debates because we're actually on the ballot as independents. So there the way, will be debates. What, there are debates coming. Yeah, there's, I think there's three to five ready. I, uh, I, oh I was God, on I one of the. I can't wait to see those. I, I want to actually see those. I know. I, I'd fly. Yeah, yeah. Watch be fun. I'd yeah. fly to Boston to see those. Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, you know how Trump used to say wrong. Remember him? Remember he used yeah. to say that? I want to say shut up. That's what I want to say. <laughs> so what? I got to tell you, what is there anything that we can do other than having you on the show? Is there anything we can do to help you with this campaign? We'd, I well, would love well, I, 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 a guy I, like you in D.C. Not only defeating the Elizabeth Warren, but we need people like you in Washington. Well, I think what the opportunity. So first thing you guys could do is tell all the Republicans that you're that they should vote independent for the real Republican. That's me. I think, Chuck, you sort of gave an endorsement, which I'm going to sort of use. Right. But Absolutely. anything you guys could do. Send out the word that these three Republicans running one photoshopped a picture, right? Hey, by the way, I need to tell everybody in the audience one thing: we did not know this man. We didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. Nothing. So what you're hearing and and what you're you know absorbing right now is exactly what we are for the very first time, and I'm already on board. Yeah. So, 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 so I, I just think you're awesome. I really. So so one of the things that you got to be aware of. So. You know how you have the Me Too movement? So mm -hmm. I think we may also need the We Too movement. Let me explain why. So when we came out strong, there's a talk show host in Boston. He's been paid nearly 200K by one of the Republican guys. He brings up a mugshot of me from two, uh, 2000 when a woman falsely accused me. This thing was outright dismissed, and this woman had done this to two other people, right? Mm -hmm. So um, in three months ago, the, the governor of Massachusetts' son sexually molested a woman on the plane. Nothing done to him. Nothing whatsoever. This guy hits me in the face, right? He got That's away essentially with a small probation. So part yeah. of what, what we want to talk about is there's one law for the establishment and another law for the rest of us, right? If I, so, were, you, if I were you and I was in a debate on stage, on camera, I would put that bug shot on the front of my podium. <laughs> well, maybe, you know what? Big mug shot right on the front of the podium and say, this is what people think of me because of this. And right. it, it didn't, I mean, I would, I swear. No, no, I'm thinking of doing I'd that. We, right so we were face. thinking of making t-shirts with the mug shot with like, you know. Exactly, just would, throw it in their face. No, because, because the interesting thing is that, um, you know, I, the, the the false accusation I underwent, having experienced that and having experienced someone do this to me who had done this to two other men, g gave me a glimpse of if I didn't have a certain amount of wealth and couldn't get a lawyer, I would have been screwed, Chuck. Yeah. It would have been on my record. I could never get a federal grant. Mm -hmm. And I look at all these other people, poor white people, poor black people, people who got the wrong advice. They would have been completely screwed. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth Warren goes and attacks. The, I mean, I could easily attack the police, but I don't. It's not the police. It's a... It's it's this it's it's basically the fact that you have, you know, these laws were created to protect real women who got battered. Right. right. But you have a set of women who do take advantage of these laws and they've twisted the system, too. So and then you have this larger piece where there's one law for the establishment, another law for the rest of us. But, yeah, I want to talk about that because several uh, last year, you may remember there's a big free speech rally in Boston. I don't know if you guys remember this. Big Boston free speech rally in mm -hmm. 40,000 people came out because they were told the people speaking, they were Nazis. I was one of the guys who agreed to speak there because a bunch of young students wanted to speak about free speech. 
two days before the rally in August 19, 2017, Charlottesville took place. The mayor of Boston, a Democrat mayor, and the governor all jumped on and they said, yes, these guys are racist. I mean, some of the guys were from the right, some were from the left. So the establishment said this was a racist Nazis. So we show up, 40 of us, facing 40,000 people. It was like Braveheart. I did my speech. I exposed Elizabeth Warren. I exposed Hillary Clinton as a real racist. The media didn't send that out, but people think I'm a Nazi and a white supremacist. So I've been on both sides. You know, people calling me a wife beater on this side, and over here, people call me a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. But it's a great opportunity to bring up all this nonsense, so we love it. So the campaign on the right and the left, people don't know what to do about uh, us, Mark and Chuck, because what we're really doing is we're bringing out the fact that the establishment is one, and it's time that people had an opportunity to vote independent. Well, don't stop. Keep up what you're doing. I will tell you that, you know, our, our microphones are open for you at any time. If you've got okay. other messages you want to bring back, we will bring you back. You have our support. You are more than welcome to, to use it. We will put it out on Twitter. We will put it out on our website. So, so I got one last thing to do that you guys should promote. See this magnetic signs we have? Yes. This is our ground game. These are magnetic signs all made in America, okay? So he's showing, by the way, can, since this is a podcast, he's showing a picture of he and Elizabeth Warren. The top, it says Shiva, U.S. Senate 2018. And on the bottom, it says only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. <laughs> yeah, it's a magnetic sign. So we have this on our bus. So anyone out there to support our campaign, we know everyone works. It's hard for you to go out and be on the ground, right? Buy these magnetic signs. Okay, they're 10 or 15 bucks. Put them on your car for the next 60, 70 days. Drive around with them. Half a million people see them. And it's basically sending a message that we stand for free speech. We stand against these fake people. So we've made it very easy, Mark and Chuck, for people to participate in the campaign and obviously get a lawn sign. So Shiva for Senate.com. So, yeah, so Shiva and the numeral four, right? The number Senate. four. Com. Yep. Shiva for Senate. You can also find Dr. Shiva at Twitter, which is A-V-A underscore Shiva, S-H-I-V-A. And by the way, go to bluntforcetruth.com and look in the show notes. We'll have all the links to the campaign. We'll have links to all of his social media right there. So don't worry if you're driving that you have to write all this stuff down. The other thing I want to tell you folks is if you want to see Elizabeth Warren gone, then you go to Shiva for Senate and give them five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is you can afford because campaigns are a lot of money and Elizabeth Warren and the Republican machine are working against this man. So and only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. That's the most exactly. important message. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. You just, Thank you, guys. All right. So, Chuck, there he is. <laughs> he's Shiva Iadora. I love this guy. He's brilliant, number one. <laughs> and he's got a great sense of humor. He sees this thing through a very obtuse eye, which I really like, and I know you do, too. Mm -hmm. So, uh Wow, am I ever happy to be a part of his campaign, just yeah. promoting him. He's awesome. But, I never thought I would ever say that I mean this sincerely about an independent. I really never did. Yeah, this is a, this is a guy that I'm, I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to say right now, this is a guy who will remain friend. 